Dr. Christine Lumlong, today's guest, is the CEO and founder of Origin Healthcare, which provides medical hospital care to patients in their homes with consistently better outcomes at a lower cost than in-facility care. A medical doctor and a Yale MBA, she'll share insights about her work and her superpower. I'm your host, Devin Thorpe. Welcome to the Superpowers for Good show, where we empower you. Christine, thank you so much for joining me. It's I, I'm so thrilled to connect with you. It was great to meet you in Tahoe a couple of weeks back. Um, it's truly a pleasure to be here. I really loved our conversation, so I'm excited for this next one. Yeah, uh, you know, it was fun to meet you. You and I were both speakers at uh, the Halbar uh, Summit. It was uh, a great event where we're talking about family offices and impact investing. And it was really a, a, an inspiring group to be around uh, for a day. So, uh, Nate, really, uh, the, the core of that being the passion and purpose. Um, love being around people who think about passion and purpose every day. Yeah, yeah, it was it was really a special event. Uh, I was really uh, impressed uh, with the work you're doing at Origin Healthcare. Tell us about Origin Healthcare. Origin Healthcare really started because we wanted to figure out what we could do better in healthcare. Um, and I'm a hospitalist by background, and I saw every day while the hospital is is doing great work and serving people, there's still a large percentage of people who are getting care in the hospital who aren't having great outcomes or aren't being where they need to be. And then there's a whole other segment of people who actually aren't even able to access that care in the first place. And so Origin was really generated thinking of how do we serve people better? How do we provide them options to get the care when and where they need it the most? Um, and especially regarding hospitalizations, which are some of our most expensive episodes of healthcare. They're clearly some of the most expensive or excuse me, stressful episodes for people, um, for the patient, for loved ones that are worried about them in the hospital. And so this is a model of care um, that actually has been used around the world for decades. And it says that there's a percentage of people in the hospital currently who actually could receive that care at home um, with the right clinical support. So we deploy the expert medical team, the equipment and the technology to patients in their homes so that they can actually get all of the care that they would receive in the hospital. But now it's in an environment that clearly is much more comfortable. It's shown to be over 40% safer. And then what was really sort of closed out the whole thing for me, it's 30 to 40% more affordable than if they get that care physically within a facility. So when we came across this model of care, we just knew that this is what we wanted to dedicate this next portion of our career to doing. Yeah, it's it's a, a radical innovation, as simple as it is at, at some levels, that it is both cheaper and better. Uh, let's drill down on both of those in turn, but let's start with better. How could it possibly be better to treat someone at home than in a hospital where you've got all of the machines and technology and people? What on, how could we do that all at home? So a couple of different things, unfortunately, happen when you're in the hospital. Um, there was a recent study that came out that one in four patients will actually experience an adverse event that was preventable. So hospitals, unfortunately, sometimes aren't as safe as we think they are. We can get hospital-acquired infections. We know that people can experience confusion, which is called delirium, and that can add days onto their hospitalization. They may now need a nursing home, extra costs, complications that come up. Uh, people experience falls more often in the hospital. So unfortunately, there are events that happen in a hospital facility that 
when you're in the home environment actually don't occur. So there are 40% fewer safety events that happen in the hospital. So those same events from falls, from blood clots, from infections that are happening, you're not experiencing those episodes of confusion. And then obviously, you know, there's been a lot of focus on mental health. So the stress of isolation being in the hospital really increases the anxiety and depression scores. And those are much better when you're surrounded by your comfort and your loved ones. So uh, just to, to confirm it, there, there are fewer falls and accidents at home, right? Uh, yeah, that's, that's people are uh, in a familiar environment and in the hospital, you know, we set them up. Unfortunately, I, I often said as a physician, when I would round in the morning, patients would say, I got terrible sleep last night. You know, somebody next door was yelling the, my IV kept beeping and I would inevitably only be able to say, I know the hospital is a place where you need the best sleep because you're sick, but unfortunately you get the worst. And so there's all these other things that are happening. You have guard, you know, bed rails that are up, IVs that are plugged in. You get up in the middle of the night and forget, you know, that you're in a different place. So unfortunately it can be really disorienting being in the hospital. Yeah. 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 It's, uh, it's easy to see now as you explain it, how it can, it could be that you could get better outcomes at home. Um, Describe the care you're providing at home. Obviously, well, I don't want to say obviously, but you're not doing surgery at home. Uh, You're not doing uh, ICU care at home. What kinds of things are you doing at home? Mm -hmm. Um, So it's estimated of the patients that are currently in the hospital, about 30% of those patients could be cared for at home. And that's about 5 million patients right now. We're looking at those patients typically that are on the medical ward of a hospital. So patients that are being admitted for congestive heart failure, for COPD, um, infections that need IV antibiotics, dehydration needing IV fluids. It's estimated there are about 150 different types of diagnosis that are appropriate for home. And really we think of it being less that is the diagnosis appropriate, but can we provide the safe care for the patient that they need? But to your point, yes, any patient needing surgery, complex procedures, um, ICU monitoring, definitely, we know we will still need the hospital and really thinking that the hospital of the future really will concentrate more on those higher acuity, more complex intervention patients, and that we can provide those services otherwise for those medical patients in the community. Now, describe a little bit the, 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 the method you're using the practices. Uh, you probably have a, a, a good doctor word for these things. You're an MD, <laughs> but but uh, w- what's the doctor word for what you do? The the procedures that we do. Mm-hmm. Pro- yeah. So patients will come to us being referred by a clinician. So a primary care doctor, a specialist, someone in the emergency department. We've actually taken people who are in the hospital and want to finish their therapy at home. So there's a clinician who initially says, this is a patient who's needing a higher level of care. So not care that's, you know, in an urgent care and go home, not care that's being provided by a home health care agency that's looking more at that chronic disease management. This is someone where a clinician said, I need you to go to a hospital facility, but hey, we have origin available. Would you like to receive the same care? But now you get to do that at home. Once the patient, you know, confirms that that's where they would like to be. And again, most patients will say yes to this because they don't want to be in the hospital. Um, We'll talk with the clinician who's referring the patient to us, get their history. We do a quick screening to make sure that the home environment is safe. 
And then we'll deploy our medical team to the home within a couple of hours. So we're sending a nurse and a nurse practitioner to the home. We have a car full of medical equipment. So IV pumps, fluids, medications. Um, we will assess the patient. We can start treatments there. We can do some bedside lab testing. We've contracted with mobile radiology. So we can do everything except for a CAT scan and MRI in the home now and get those results back. And then we provide what's called remote patient monitoring. So in this case, it's a watch that tracks vital signs every 15 minutes. It also allows us to see how mobile the patient is, how much they're getting up and moving around, how many hours of sleep they had. And that's paired with a tablet where there's a one touch button that the patient can hit the button and there's a physician on call 24 seven. So there's someone always available to answer any questions. And then we provide telemedicine visits over that tablet as well. So we're doing what's called a hybrid model of care. So people now are more familiar with telehealth, which is you know the video type of meeting that you have with a clinician. They're familiar with, hey, going into a hospital and seeing people. And this is sort of marrying the best of both worlds and saying, you're gonna have that personal in-touch um, combination of caregivers right there in the home with you. And we're also gonna leverage technology to help keep you safe and really for this model to be efficient too. So the best of yeah, both worlds. So so you don't have a nurse with the patient 24 hours a day. Correct. Uh, um, and it's one of those things that I think is interesting to your point. I think a lot of this is sort of overcoming the bias that we think if someone's admitted in the hospital and they're under the roof of a hospital, they must be getting 24 hours of care. Um, yeah. And that's really not the case. Proximity doesn't necessarily mean they've actually done nursing studies you know, and unfortunately we're putting so much burden on the nurses, but there's studies that will show that in a 12 hour shift, our nurse is only physically assessing the patient 34 minutes of that 12 hours. You know, they're outside, they're doing other things, they're answering, you know, phone calls, helping with transport. I mean, nurses have to multitask so much. And, you know, we can talk about that at another point on why our clinical team loves this model so much is because you don't have to have that, you know, multitasking where you're pulled in different directions. So we're actually providing a couple of hours of in-person care at a minimum a day, which again, in some ways is actually more than you would get in the hospital. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's remarkable, but yeah, I I've had enough friends and family in the hospital to appreciate uh, as you visit that you can often visit for a long time without being interrupted by the, right. the nurse providing care. Uh, yeah. So it's interesting insights. So uh, let's talk a little bit about how you make it cheaper and and you've kind of kind of uh, gone in that direction by talking about leveraging technology but um it seems like part of the savings must come from there isn't a hospital <laughs> involved right uh, you're not having to recover the cost of a billion dollar building but uh, talk about the costs uh that's absolutely the case and i think again intuitive we feel like it cannot possibly be cheaper to actually deploy expert clinicians to every single person's home. Um, and yet again, you know, we can draw on the wealth of data from countries like Australia that have been doing this for decades. And, and here in the United States, Mount Sinai, Brigham, John Hopkins have all done these great studies. And I'll tell people, you know, these studies to your point about technology, a lot of these studies were done in the 90s before we really used telehealth, before we used remote patient monitoring, and they were still seeing 30 to 40%. So now if you do layer on technology, think about how much more capital efficient this could be. But where the savings comes in is exactly what you said, is hospitals are expensive. 
that fixed brick and mortar cost that is sort of wrapped into the hospitalization cost is not insignificant. And doing away with that, you can generate significant savings. I think I shared with you, you know, one of the statistics along this journey that's been the most surprising to me is that it costs two to $5 million to add one single hospital bed to a facility. So if you think about your hospital and your community as they're building a new ward or a new tower, and you think about all that capital expenditure that's going into that, and we now have actually the ability to care for people in a more affordable environment, gosh, could we free up that capital expenditure to do something else to hire more nurses? Um, so the fixed brick and mortar cost. The other thing that they find in the hospital at home model, and I, we are guilty of this, I'm a hospital physician and I worked in the hospital, is there's a proximity bias. Because you're in the hospital and you have lab and radiology immediately available, often you'll order a test just to say, oh, let's just double check this or let's just see. So they find that the utilization of testing is actually lower in the hospital at home model. But the important thing from the clinician standpoint is that quality is better still. So we're not avoiding tests because we don't want to do them and then sacrificing quality. As it turns out, apparently we're ordering a lot of tests that we don't need, and that's actually generating savings as well. And then the last thing I would say is that if you look at overall cost, because the cost, because the quality is cheaper in the home and other metrics that we care about, such as repeat ED visits after hospitalization or people unfortunately being readmitted because they got home, things weren't going well, and they went back to the hospital, all of those costs also add on. And a lot of hospitals unfortunately get penalized for those readmissions. And those metrics are also better at home. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, you don't get readmitted to your home uh, if you have a problem, right? Uh, and so many of the problems, as you discussed, go away when you're at home. Uh, less likely to fall, less likely to get the hospital-acquired infection. Fascinating. So huge savings, better outcomes. It seems like this is something that's going to scale pretty naturally. Um, where are you in your business journey? Give us a sense of of where you are and where you hope to go. Yeah, so we launched, uh, we officially opened as a company in 2021 in the middle of a pandemic. So <laughs> there are a lot of things that went into that, a lot of good things and bad things. We were able to treat our first patient in the spring of 21. Um, we're in the Colorado market. We're in the Northern Colorado area where I worked as a hospital physician. So we've actually treated over 1,100 patients in the two years, two plus years, um, that we've been up and operational. So we're doing hospital care at home. Um, but one of the other things that also happens is when you create a new model of care, and especially when you're going somewhere where other people don't, you also get asked to do a lot of other things as well. So to the point that we talked about earlier, understanding that there are patients that aren't able to access care. So we're going into places where people have either social economic stresses that keep them from going into the home. And I have great stories to share about that, or people that have transport air barriers to get in the home. And so we're doing those assessments for people who say, I'm, I'm sick, but I can't get the care that I need. Um, we're also doing care where people are coming out of the hospital, just to the point we talked about, it's a really high risk period. We're putting a lot of stress on patients and families to manage a lot of complex changes to their lives, and then hoping that they do well, because we sort of, we stop at the hospital exit, we don't follow them into the home. And so we're going into the home doing transitions of care visits and helping them smooth that transition home, making sure that their higher likelihood of staying home and not ending up back in the ED and being readmitted. Um, and then again, you know, sort of to tie a little bit in, um, we're doing, when we're in the home, we have 
insights that we're completely missing being in the hospital. We can see the home environment. We can see the other social stresses that might be impacting their lives. And so we're able to actually help put in place, you know, tools or referrals that people need to actually keep them healthier longer. And so we're being asked to do all of those things and really hospital at home is still our sweet spot, but it's thinking, you know, what does a patient need? Where's the best place for them to get that care? And then what are the services that we need to bring around? And so that's really our focus is saying, let's get the patient the right care at the right time in the right place. Yeah. Um, it, it's amazing. Uh, the opportunity here, isn't it? Uh, I, I really hope you'll be successful. Uh, Thank you. And I imagine that one of the signs of success will be people will mimic what you're doing. Um, but you're figuring some things out that others will have to plow through, right? And so it might be easier really in the long run for them to partner with you rather than copy you, don't you think? Um, such a great point, Deb. You know, we've had, you know, first of all, we're a clinically led team. I think that gives us uh, an unfair advantage in some ways because we know, right? We we know this space. We know these patients. We've worked in the hospital. We've seen, you know, what needs to be done. So we already have a step ahead from that. Clearly, the last couple of years, there's been so much going on in healthcare, right? You can't turn on a newsfeed without seeing something, some new retail giant coming in saying they're going to solve healthcare, or, you know, some other tech solution. And we're really saying, you know, there's a way to be thoughtful about this and move quickly to do this, but it does take time. It's not, I think a lot of people think that the solution for this will come from hospitals. So it seems natural that a hospital then would just, you know, develop the hospital at home model. Um, it's not as easy as shrinking a hospital to a smaller footprint. It is a completely different skill set. It requires different operations, different mindsets. And so really, and when you think about actually, you know, what have the hospitals just come out of dealing with two years of a pandemic and all the stresses, it's better for a hospital to say, we want this model, we see the benefit of it, but we would love to partner with someone who's doing this. And by doing that, you know, we can come into a community and we can partner with multiple different hospitals because in the beginning, especially, I don't think that every hospital needs a hospital at home program. I think every community does. Um, and I also believe that that's really the way that we can help drive towards population health that we've talked about is let's not be facility centric. Let's not be, you know, insurance centric. Let's th figure out how can we invite sort of everybody in who has a stake in this game and let's create a service and a platform that serves all of them. And because we are growing and scaling, we're going to be able to amplify that learning in the next community we go. And then the learning from that community will also feed back to the care that we're providing in the platform and another. And so I think that's the potential effect of this, just gaining momentum by being able to have that wide partnership and knowing that we're going to have the ability to bring everybody on board. Yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant. You know, you really are remarkable in that there are Lots of doctors are small business owners. Some are large business owners, right? They own their facilities. And so they may own a CAT scan machine, an MRI. And so that, you know, they've got some business acumen. But it's really rare to find a, a, an MD with your level of innovation, right? That genuine entrepreneurial approach. So kudos to you. What do you see as your superpower? Um, so I don't think, you know, anything being a superpower, it's just sort of who I am, but, um, 
I mean, I guess I would say it's courage. Um, you know, the things that I've done to your point, um, when I started the hospital medicine company that I started before, there were very few hospital medicine companies in the nation at that point, came into an area that had never heard about it before and taking the courage of saying, I see something, I believe in it. The path forward may not seem obvious, but I'm going to go charge down that path. Um, and that's the same with origin is that I, I love the hospital medicine company that I created. We were doing great work, um, but I saw something else that needed help. Um, and I thought, I'm going to leave the comfort zone of something that I know that is good and familiar. And I'm going to take a leap into something because I believe in it so much. And, and ultimately that means you have to believe in yourself. Um, so I think it would be the courage to step in, you know, courage to step in places where I'm often the only female, um, even in healthcare, um, you would be surprised at how often I'm only female, um, definitely, um, stepping into the venture space. Um, there are fewer females here. And so having the courage to say, you know, I, I, I believe in what I'm doing. I know that this is the right thing, even when other people may try to get you to doubt it. And um, you sort of just have that sense of conviction that keeps moving you forward. Yeah. Can you think of a specific example uh, that you can share of a time when you exercised courage and achieved an outcome that you're proud of? <laughs> um. So, you know, um, I was the head of, it would have been the Department of Medicine. Um, it, they called it a service line of the hospital that I worked at. Again, one of the only, um, the only department chair that was female at the time. And we were um, pushing and advocating for um, services for our department. Um, because as the Department of Medicine, unfortunately, we also don't tend to get the resources because we're typically not seen as the ones that generate money for the hospital. Um, and so stepping up in a, a, a public meeting and really pushing and advocating for the work that our team had already done that had benefited so many other service lines and departments and really being able in this very, you know, male dominated public room, be able to stand up and sort of say, this is, you know, this has to be the right thing. This is the value that we're bringing and not being afraid of, of being told no, or, you know, hearing some conversations later that happen. So I think that's, you know, again, the times where other people may have stood quiet, it's it's hard for me when I see something that needs to be fixed to stay quiet in those situations. Yeah. Yeah. Your point is so, so valid. I don't understand hospitals like you do, but, you know, I watched my mother go through surgeries and procedures, but eventually she would usually spend a few days uh, on the way out in the medicine unit where uh, she was just being cared for. And of course, if that didn't exist, you couldn't have done the surgery in the first place. That hadn't been part of the uh, exit process, right? For the surgery, right? The recovery. Right. So, right. Yeah. yeah, I know the, the, the medicine units, I mean, I would, again, props to all the medicine nurses that are out there as well, too. We don't we have medicine teams don't get the the glitz and the glamour that other people do, but to your point, they're the the soul and the backbone of a hospital. Yeah, and but I can see how it required real courage to step up and advocate uh, in that because of the uh, cultural sort of uh, I don't know if depreciation is the right word for that, but in, in the hospitals, uh, it seems like that's not valued as the like the glam unit at the, like the surgery. 
boundaries are uh, in some of the other units. So, and I um, think that you know, stepping up and not, not just in that situation, right? It's I think people have have a hard time stepping up anymore and saying there's a lot of of things that have happened um, that people have seen for individuals, and you know, part of that with Origin starting was you know watching really good people that I knew that were in healthcare just feel like they didn't have a place anymore in healthcare and thinking, you know, how, how is it that we're creating a system that's not honoring these people that have the greatest intention to have such great skill? And what do we, how do we rethink that, that we can keep people in healthcare that we need in there? Yeah. Christine, as you think about how you learned and developed courage, some of that probably feels innate. But at the same time, you probably recognize that you have developed that, uh, strengthened that ability over time by using it. Uh, can you could you coach us on developing, strengthening courage? What 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 insights could you share? Um, again, I think all of us in our everyday lives should look around and figure out, you know, what is something that we feel like needs to be better. Um, and then believing yourself that you're the person to make that better, that, you know, if it's not you, then who's going to step up? Um, I think also surrounding yourself by people who also lift and elevate you up I means when you talk about sort of that innate part, I, it, my parents, my parents were the one that from a very early age, there was no barrier. I mean, because I was the only girl on a soccer team when I was in first grade and um, they didn't have a girl's soccer league. And my dad's like, I want my daughter to play and I'll be the coach if I have to, to, to put her on the team. And, you know, so from a very early age, they taught me like there, there is no barrier. There is no boundary for what it is that you can do and try to break through those things. And so um, I would just give a huge thanks to my parents and my family. Um, So definitely um, surround yourself by people who don't tell you that there are any limits to what you do. But I think a lot of it is just having faith. And, you know, I look back and if I think about, even when I look back at the hospital medicine program, super proud of the work. If I look back and think, wow, if I had known that I would have had to do all these things, that I was going to grow the company as big as I did at the start, would I have done it? Maybe not. I would have been, you know, super scared. So there is a little bit of naivete that has to go into courage is thinking, like, <laughs> I don't quite know the mess I'm getting myself into. Um, and that might be this yeah. as well, too. But just take the first step. Like, you don't need to know the entire journey. You don't need to know the entire outcome. And then you also have to just be ready to accept that it may fail. Um, you know, this still origin still might not succeed in spite all of the things that we talked about, that this seems so right and logical. And we truly believe we had the point of view that is needed in this. In the end, this still may fail. But at the end of the day, I don't want to have any regrets. Um, and so I think that's what drives my courage is that I don't want to leave anything left on the table at the end of the day. Yeah, it's a brilliant insight, brilliant insight. Uh, yeah, all of those points uh, i the your point about uh, uh naivete resonates with me a little <laughs> bit because uh, i ran for congress and 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 in hindsight uh you know i never would have done it if i had known how hard and painful it would be right i know <laughs> so but, the startup journeys like that too i've had some great conversations with some female founders and we're like oh my god what were we thinking <laughs> yeah yeah it it's hard uh uh, you will be successful uh, in your path uh, where I wasn't. So it'll be different in that regard. But uh, I can relate to the power of naivete at times. 
And there's uh, always learning listen, that comes from it, right? Yeah, that, that's true. Well, Christine, thank you so much for taking thank the you, time Devin. to be with us. Be, before we wrap up, would you just take a minute and tell people how they can learn more about Origin Healthcare and how they can connect with you? Absolutely. Um, so our website's originhc.com. So it stands for originhealthcare.com. Um, you could reach out to me. Um, I'm on LinkedIn um, and my name will be on the podcast show. So I would love anyone that's interested in innovating in healthcare who truly believes that we can make a difference and make healthcare better than it already is, who's interested in impact supporting female founders, the gamut. Um, I'm just, Devin, thank you for you championing the, you know, the social good that's out there. I'm just so grateful to be a part of this podcast and having met you. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. We wish you every success. Truly, we want to see healthcare improve in this country, become more accessible and affordable. And you're just right on that path. So we we really want you to be successful. Thank you. Good luck to you. Thank you, Devin. All righty. Let's do some good. Thank you for tuning in to the Superpowers for Good show. Twice each week, we host changemakers who share their impact, insights, and superpowers. Don't miss another episode. Subscribe today at superpowersforgood.com. That's superpowers, number four, good.com. Be super empowered. Get your copy of the book, Superpowers for Good, as an ebook, audiobook, paperback, or hardcover edition via your favorite online retailer. Interested in having me speak to your company, organization, or association? Visit devonthorpe.com. Then let's talk. Now, keep using your superpowers for good. Together, we can reverse climate change, improve global health, and eradicate poverty.